This is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. This week, it's a real throwback episode. I'm taking it back 20 years, back to 2002. If you know me at all, you'll know I'm really into print magazines. I can't help it. I grew up collecting them, and I also worked in print glossy magazines and newspapers. So they've always meant a lot to me. I think it's like the fact that you can touch them and flick through them. I definitely love to read stuff online. Of course, it's much easier, but I've recently got back into collecting magazines. And one copy that I bought is the 2002 October issue of British Vogue. Just to give you an insight into just how much I love magazines, I actually spent £35 plus £5 postage very recently on a brand new magazine, um, Perfect Magazine, actually. So I think that tells you just how committed to print I am. I think it's just a sensory thing just to be able to look and take your time. I think maybe when we read things on our phones, there's a speed attached to it, perhaps. And obviously, we can even when we're watching videos and stuff or listening to things, we can actually speed them up now. So perhaps magazines just take me back into uh, like a slow way of living or soft life, perhaps. It's just easier. So this October 2002 issue of British Vogue, it didn't cost me £35. I think it cost me like £5, maybe. Bought it on eBay because I've been trying to get my collection up. And I thought it would be really cool to actually start opening up some of these vintage issues and sharing them with you just to kind of see what people were reading back then. What were magazines telling us back then? Because today social media gets a very, we're very critical of social media, although we use it all the time. We criticize social media for how we think about how we look, how badly we feel about ourselves. And before social media, especially when it came to fashion and beauty, we were looking at magazines. Before I get into it, I'd love to know what you think. And if you think these kind of vintage magazine throwbacks are something you'd want to hear more of on Beauty Me, tag me when you're listening over on Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast. DM me and let me know if this kind of thing appeals to you. So what I'll do, I'll start off with the cover and then share some details on adverts throughout because I think adverts are really telling of a time period. And I'll also hone in on some key beauty stories of that time. Let's talk about the cover. The cover lines are blue and black, like a really pretty kind of aqua blue. And the cover star, who is someone that a lot of people are talking about today, actually, because she's just appeared fully nude and sprayed gold to celebrate her 50th birthday. I'm talking about Gwyneth Paltrow. So imagine the Gwyneth pre-Goop, while she was still an actress. I don't think she acts anymore, does she, since she started Goop? I don't think she needs to act, actually, does she? 2002, we're looking at, what, 20, if she's 50 now. So that's 30-year-old Gwyneth on the cover. I think she looks absolutely stunning. It was shot by Mario Testino, big fashion photographer. Her makeup by Tom Pichot is using all Lancome. And the overall look is very tanned. Gwyneth looks very tanned. She's actually got gleaming skin. Her eyes are... They kind of feature a very old-school white highlighter on the brow bone. 
that's a look that definitely came straight from the 90s. But it's teamed with this really deep, dark, metallic green. It's really pretty. Her hair by Orlando Peter is, again, really warm. It's a really warm blonde, perhaps almost like a strawberry blonde, and it's set into soft waves. When it comes to the cover lines, there's one in particular that's already standing out to me, and that says, whatever happened to the supermodel? So I definitely can't wait to get into that article. Past the cover, just going to flick through some ads. And before we get to the beauty pages, there's one ad that I'm already in love with. It's a stunning ad campaign for Yves Saint Laurent, Reeve Gauche, and it was back at the time when it, Tom Ford was at the helm. Tom Ford is my absolute favorite. Even today, he's brought a definite kind of sexiness to brands like YSL and Gucci, of course. And this campaign is very, well, it's the October issue, so it would be the winter collections. It's very dark, very black, kind of glam goth, I would say. There are models in there, some of the most beautiful models of the time, actually. Leah Cabedi, Carmen Cass, Carolina Krakova, shot by Stephen Mizell, who I talked about in the recent Linda Evangelista episode, actually. That's episode number 137. So they're all wearing black, black velvet, silk, lots of dark navy, dark purple. And the makeup is all smoky eyes and glossy nude lips, which Again, you could probably say came direct from the 90s. So it's quite interesting that in 2002, people were still in that phase, that kind of 90s phase. I know a lot of people are taking on trends of Y2K right now, and they kind of lean towards the more sparkly, shimmery, glittery metallics. Whereas in the magazine, it seems like a lot of the winter campaigns are definitely leaning back into the 90s, a little bit grungy, but glam. I think earlier on I alluded to why I love magazines so much and just flicking through this one, it's reminding me, I think magazines in print can have a kind of emotional connection with you. And I've just seen an ad for what was then a brand new perfume from Estee Lauder. It was called Pleasures. I'm not sure if it's still around. I'm actually just going to before we continue to break down that ad, I'm just going to see if Estee Lord of Pleasures is still around. So, yeah, it's still out there, still available. So the ad itself, the model, oh, her name is on the tip of my tongue, Carolyn Murphy. She was one of my favorites, actually. I think she still works now. She's wearing a delicate white dress and a pink dress in another shot, and she's holding a puppy. So... <laughs> It's a very soft, romantic, traditionally romantic ad. But when I mentioned like having an emotional connection just now, the reason I'm saying that is because there's a little sample on this Pleasures ad. And it's not the samples that you would see today that are kind of like those tiny little aerosol pumps. It's like, you know, like when you lift a piece of paper up and beneath it, there might be like a soaked tissue or just a tiny bit of the perfume. And whoever sold me this magazine hasn't actually opened the perfume. So part of me is like, shall I lift it up? The other part of me kind of feels like, no, it's lasted so long. <laughs> it's lasted 22 years. Maybe I won't open it just yet. I kind of have an idea from the ad that it's going to be a very sweet smelling perfume. 
And I'm definitely someone that's obsessed with fragrance, but I just feel like it's wrong to release this this little sample because I know that once I do, the smell is just going to go away. Another ad that's really intriguing is for a product that I've never seen before. It's called Dior Maximize. The text on the page is very minimal. It just says one coat lash magnifier for instant maxi eyes. There's something about this product that tells me it must have been the precursor to the cult classic Dior Show Mascara because I haven't seen this Maximize anywhere. When I Googled it, a YouTube comes up from seven years ago and I don't know where the person got the product from because I cannot find it anywhere else. So I do think this was the precursor to Dior Show, which was created by the one and only Pat McGrath. And what's interesting is that I'm looking at the October 2002 issue and Dior show actually first came onto the market that same month, that same year. So perhaps it wasn't quite ready when the magazine was being worked on because as you would expect with a consumer magazine like Vogue, you know the team would be working at least three months in advance. So perhaps they were phasing Dior Maximize out and Dior show was coming in. The look of the ad itself is very Dior, well, Dior 20 years ago. It's a model up close against the mirror, naked skin, very steamy. The mirror's damp. She has damp hair and glossy skin. And all you can see are these amazingly long and actually quite natural looking lashes. So I'm going to go to one of the cover stories now because I told you earlier, the one that appealed to me is called whatever happened to the supermodel. The article is written by Tim Blanks and I'll just give you a teeny bit of info on him. He used to host a show called Fashion File, which I think was late 80s and 90s. And he was also editor at large at thelegendarystyle.com. I cannot remember, but I think that was around when I really started getting into magazines and it was the online destination for everything fashion. They would show the entire shows. They would show close-ups of the models' faces. They would show close-ups of the accessories. Style.com was the place. I think I used to spend hours on there. I was just fascinated by the makeup that the models were wearing. I don't know what happened to Style.com, but Tim moved on from there. And today he's still in a similar role, editor at large at Business of Fashion. He moved to Business of Fashion in 2015. It's become an institution now when it comes to fashion and beauty news, really. So that's where Tim is now. But in 2002, he's written this article basically about the demise of the supermodel. He wonders if we will ever see their like again. In the first paragraph, Tim mentions Linda, Cindy, Naomi and Christy, the supermodels who we were on first name terms with. But in case you don't know who he's referring to, it's Linda Evangelista, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell and Christy Turlington. One thing I like about this article is he seems to be reminiscing on the magic, the glamour, the power of the supermodel. And he seems like very in love with the moment. But he also says that today everyone is a supermodel and no one is, which I find really remarkable because this is 2002. I feel like today, I mean, what well, I think Instagram's taken over really, hasn't it, when it comes to models. So 
he was obviously going through a bad time back then because I feel like those words could have been written today and they would make more sense to me. He goes on to say that wave after wave of young women sweep from all points of the globe to become flavor of the month. But again, that's really significant to me because I think Instagram and social media at large have just changed that, this flavor of the month. You can become a model overnight if you post a picture on Instagram and a brand sees you. So to say this 20 20 odd years ago, the turnover now is so much quicker. He also writes this comment that's a little bit rude. He says that Russia rules and he's bemoaning the, quote, merry dance of Natalia's and Natasha's. It's just interesting to me because, you know, we talk about it today, you know, cancel culture and not putting up with things. But it's clear that when you go back, people clearly thought differently and expressed themselves differently. He felt comfortable to refer to Russians as Natalia's and Natasha's. He felt comfortable to just make that comment in print, no less. You know, print, print lives. I mean, if you read it and keep it. It just fascinates me because he wouldn't be able to say that today, I don't think. And Tim is very much alive as well, as I'd said. So Tim, if you're out there, let me know if you would make these same comments. But I get it. He was speaking at a time, a very specific moment. So we'll just go along with it. Just know that I may well point out things that sound really wrong in 2022. Tim also comments about the types of people seen on the front row. And he's calling them B, C and even D list celebs. And again, that's making me think of just being at London Fashion Week a few weeks ago. When I was there, I saw a lot of people that are known for their TikTok followings. And I'm talking, you know, like millions. And I saw a few articles that were kind of criticizing TikTok for ruining the cachet of being invited to fashion week but to me it's just a sign of the times I feel I wonder if some people who are complaining about it are just upset that they didn't get invitations and it definitely reminded me of kind of the levels of gatekeeping that are within the fashion industry one thing I've always felt over the years is that while the beauty industry can be a bit more gossipy the fashion industry is a bit more bitchy. So I'm wondering if the people complaining about TikTok kids being at Fashion Week are just a little bit jealous. So it'd be interesting to see if Tim got any invites this year to any of the shows if he was upset 20 years ago. I do think that his misjudged comments come from his, you know, romantic ideal of the fashion world. For him, Models are the lead actresses in what he calls the ongoing drama of fashion. One of the people that he brings in to discuss the demise of the supermodel is Sarah Ducasse. She's the woman who famously discovered Kate Moss and she's the owner of London modelling agency Storm and Storm LA. Her words again mirror what is happening today. It was just quite spooky, this sentence. She said, people's attention spans have grown so much shorter We look at girls and ask ourselves, is she a one hit wonder? I just can't believe that if someone noticed 20 years ago that our attention spans are growing shorter, I would love to know what Sarah Ducas thinks of modeling today, 20 years later, because were our attention spans that bad? I don't, 
I don't know. I feel that they're pretty bad now, thanks to phones, but it's just fascinating that she would put down the demise of the supermodel purely down to the audience not having a great attention span anymore. Tim goes on to suggest that the reason supermodels became so popular specifically in the 90s was because their rise coincided with the birth of and thirst for popular entertainment. I guess today it's more, we're talking about the Kardashians and reality TV. But back then, popular entertainment was really on the rise MTV and one of the supermodels, the originals, Cindy Crawford, is quoted as saying, Hollywood was kind of boring to me. None of the actresses wanted to be glamorous because they felt they wouldn't be taken seriously. Again, I feel like, is Cindy judging actresses? I don't know. I feel like actresses have it very hard. They have a short lived working span, depending on who they are. Being an actress isn't just based on the skills, it's definitely based on looks so for Cindy to be saying that actresses didn't want to be glamorous I mean she looks like Cindy Crawford doesn't she she didn't have to act for money so yeah again it'd be really cool to find out what Cindy Crawford thinks today 20 years on because you know she's still working she appeared in the Savage Fenty show in the last show I think it was an interesting part of this article for me focused on the model's fees Linda Evangelista famously said that the supers don't get out of bed for less than $10,000 and apparently some would even make up to $20,000 just to appear on a runway. But the article says that soon the fees dried up down to just $1,000 for a Milan Fashion Week show and that is back in 2002. But that makes me think, what are the likes of Bella and Gigi Hadid, Kendall Jenner and even the original supermodel Naomi Campbell, who's still working today, what are they getting paid? I can't believe that they'll be getting paid less than $20,000. I just can't. They must be getting paid a lot more. If you work in the industry and you've got some facts to share, let me know in the DMs at Beauty Me Podcast on Twitter or Instagram, please, because I'm really intrigued. What do Bella and Gigi get paid? I'm still trying to focus on Tim's affections for the supermodels. I'm trying to keep it positive. But some of the comments from people used in this article are so interesting. And again, dare I say bitchy? Peter Lindbergh, who was a huge fashion photographer, he passed away in 2019. But before then, he'd shot lots of fashion campaigns, tons of magazine covers, and also album covers for Sheryl Crow, Beyonce. In the article, he says of Brazilian model Giselle Bunchton, although we mostly know Giselle as Giselle, he says, she has no great stories. She has a great body. She's very nice, but she hasn't done anything incredible like Linda. He's comparing her there to Linda Evangelista. But (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's 20 years on. Giselle still models today and she's I think she's worth a ridiculous amount of money on her own and with her husband Tom Brady again she's worth even more she's still working so you know rest in peace Peter Lindbergh but he I don't think he realized what he was saying back then I get it because fashion can be really flippant and fickle but Giselle's still around today Tim Blanks goes on to praise the likes of Kate Moss for never cashing in on her fame. And again, if he was to look 20 years later, 
she's there on British Vogue trying to sell us her wellness brand, Cosmos. So it's just fascinating to me how these comments were so, you know, dogmatic and this is what's what. And, you know, things change, people change. And again, that reminds me, that's why cancel culture is not the way forward. We do change. If you don't change, then something's wrong with you. But people change over time. And, you know, Tim wrote this 20 years ago, as I said. He closes the article with a comment that in this age of individualism, We want models with beauty, charisma, and distinct personalities. But I'd say that is what they had back then, because right now, based on the influence of Instagram, TikTok, etc., I'd say that individualism and perfection have gone by the wayside in favor of filtered, homogenous perfection. But that's just me. What do you think? I feel that one thing Tim often referred to in this article, he's he referred to the models as faces. And for me, they are more than that. They're individuals who paved a way and many of them are still around today. So yeah, maybe I'll revisit this article another 20 years from now and see what's changed. Next up, I'm, I've stopped in my tracks because there's a page full of eyes and eye makeup is one of my favorite things. And it's all about the then trend for accenting the lower eyelid, which is fascinating because this trend, I feel like it doesn't really come back that often. Trends are super cyclical, but faking that whole downturned eyes look is so in right now. I don't think it's in for everybody, let's be real. It's a very TikTok trend that's kind of sad girl makeup, droopy eyes, just making yourself look very sad. And in this piece, it talks about that accentuating the lower lash line. And it's using kind of lots of black liner, either sharp or smudged and metallics in gold, silver, just very kind of grungy, smudgy shapes with no defined outline. And yeah, it's in now. I don't think it's going to be in very long. I think the thing with TikTok trends is they can be very tiny, but TikTok makes them seem much bigger. They're kind of micro trends. So not one for me, but it's interesting to know that they were into that 20 years ago. On the following page, the beauty focus is all about the color pink. And that's most likely because in many countries around the world, October is widely known as breast cancer awareness month and pink is the campaign's signature color. In this pink piece, it's talking about Miuccia Prada's autumn winter show and how she kind of brought back the trend of pink. And amongst the perfumes, blushes, and glosses, you can actually see a Prada Beauty product. And I don't think I've ever seen one from back in the day. So again, that's interesting to me because I recently made a reel all about Prada Beauty's new perfume, Paradox. I'll share that reel in the show notes for you. And in that reel, I'm discussing whether the fact that Prada's come back with a very new look means that they will venture again into beauty, which I think could be the perfect timing for Prada. I don't know how long Prada Beauty was around for the first time around, but the product mentioned is a 92 pound reviving biofoam concentrate, which seems hugely expensive considering we're talking 20 years ago. One feature of this magazine that sent me down the rabbit hole is called Past Masters. And it's talking about great makeup names of the past. 
one name that's really stood out to me that I really need to do some homework on, I have heard of him before, is Way Bandy. He was credited with creating the smoky eye back in the 1970s. Like he is the person apparently that started doing smoky eyes before Kevin O'Quan made it his go-to in the 90s. And I think there's often been a connection between Way Bandy inspiring Kevin. Way created the makeup looks for countless Vogue and Harper's covers. And he was really known for his attention to skin prep, which again is something that's very in now. Most makeup artists that you will see now, whether it's the likes of Katie Jane Hughes working with Hayley Bieber, my friend Aoife working backstage at London Fashion Week. Skin prep is so key now. It's almost more important than what you put on the skin when it comes to makeup. And Wei Bandy apparently was known for combining his own mixes of mineral water and avocado and adding them to the foundations just to create the most perfect light formula that wouldn't mask the skin. He's definitely someone I think that deserves his own special episode. And it would probably make sense for me to do a Kevin O'Quan one as well, actually. So stay tuned for that. The next article isn't to do with beauty. So I'm going to skip it. But the main reason I'm going to skip it is because it's about fashion designer Alexander McQueen. And he is someone I will never forget the day that I watched the documentary about his life. Um, He took his own life and I haven't been able to get watching that documentary out of my head. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen because his talent was unbelievable. He died at the age of 40 in 2010. And this article, you know, it's 2002. So he's very much alive and he's talking about his weight loss and love of herbal tea and yoga. And I just don't think I'm ready for that right now. Plus, I definitely wanted to stick with beauty. So let's carry on. Finally. One of the things that I really have loved about looking through this Vogue magazine from 2002 are the party pictures. It's like they contain so much cultural information about a really specific era from the fashion to the makeup to the hair, even the body types. There are pages showing the likes of socialite sisters Nikki and Paris Hilton, actresses like my favorite Chloe Sevigny or the late Kim Porter who was sat next to her then partner P. Diddy, or Diddy as he's known now. Looking at these pictures, it seems like it was a really indulgent and celebratory time, which again is tinged with sadness, I guess, because we've been through so much in the past couple of years. But 20 years ago, it seemed like everybody was having the best time, looking amazing, and they all had skinny eyebrows. Of course, they're making a comeback right now, but we're faking it this time. So I think I've really learned that there is so much power and information if we look backwards. I think it's easy to get caught up in looking forwards and predicting trends, but I've lately been really enjoying looking backwards. I even did um, a TikTok this week about, and an episode, if you haven't listened already, episode 141, that episode featured makeup artist James Caliados. And I was looking back to his career, like back in the 90s. And so many people have said, thank you for the information that I shared. So many people have said they didn't know of his work. And they're just grateful that I shared about him. And I think there's so much that we can take from the past. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode, because I think it is something I'm going to keep doing. 
I won't just focus on Vogue magazine. I might just look at lots of different magazines, different types, always focusing on beauty and always looking backwards. But let me know, did you enjoy me sitting down with you and sharing these pages? Let me know on the DMs or on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Beauty Me Podcast or stay in touch and check out my TikToks. You can find me at Sharice Kenyon. As always, it would be amazing if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts or give Beauty Me a five-star rating over on Spotify. And don't forget, there's also a newsletter, which you can sign up for free at beautymenotes.substat.com. See you next time. <laughs>